Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Today we will continue on with our series of year-ahead conversations, focusing in specifically on U.S. energy and oil markets. Joining me here in studio for the conversation today, glad to welcome back energy and utilities analyst for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office, Jay Dobson. So Jay, it's great to be with you in our studio here in New York as always. I know there's a lot to catch up on within oil markets, the U.S. energy sector. So looking forward to hear your current thinking as we're heading into 2023. Yeah, thanks, Dan. And thanks for the invitation. Love talking about it. Absolutely. So, Jay, maybe we can begin with oil markets. And as I alluded to, even on prior conversations, we've spoke about how there are so many factors out there impacting not only supply, but demand across the globe. And as we're approaching 2023, I'm curious as to what CIO's outlook is for oil prices and risk factors investors need to be mindful of? Yeah, it's probably the first question I get, Dan. And and certainly, as, as we pointed out many times, we see high prices, oil prices, higher in 2023. You know, as we sit here right now, you know, oil prices crude by WTI are about $75. Um, I, I think when we really look near term, we've been watching oil prices get weaker. Um, and that's really been driven by people's concerns about about demand and you know probably a little bit of you know year end liquidity that's that's a little lower than than expected in in commodity markets but i think when you really sort of you know look forward to 2023 you know i think there's a couple of elements you really need to keep in mind all within the context of you know we've got very very tight supply demand you know the first one's china demand you know china's uh, growth has been muted as they've been going through their zero zero covid policy in 2022 as that is started to uh, you know subside and, and the uh, government's putting that aside uh, you're going to see more uh, China demand for uh, global crude oil the second element you have is is you know more risks around Russian supply we've got an EU oil crude oil embargo uh, in effect as of December 5th we'll have a product embargo so think diesel crude oil jet fuel distillate etc that'll be effective the 5th of February and both of those are likely to reduce the amount of, of crude oil Russia has to to export um, and certainly products on, on a similar basis. So we think you're going to have an even tighter market as China demand increases and you know Russian supply at the margin be, begins to be you know negatively impacted. You know all the while you've got you know OPEC plus in control of uh, supply and demand, and I think they'll keep markets balanced. So uh, all of that you know though there's going to be you know elements to all three of them. You know will keep markets uh, probably pretty tight for 2020. 23, uh, supporting higher prices than we see right now. And, and I think that's supportive for, for energy equities as well. So quite a few geopolitical factors to be mindful of. And maybe we can come back stateside on OJ, of course, for the chief investment office. You cover the U.S. energy sector and CIO is entering 2023, maintaining that most preferred view of U.S. energy. This against the backdrop of tighter financial conditions, uncertainty in the markets, as you alluded to a bit there, though. Jake, can you maybe walk us through the thinking there for that most preferred view right now on U.S. energy and what specifically an energy allocation looks like and why it makes sense in this environment. Yeah, Dan, it's a great question and it's a perfect follow-up. You know, if 
you know, energy companies here in the U.S. have direct exposure to the commodity. Um, and so when we're saying an environment of, of higher crude oil prices and certainly more volatile natural gas prices, you know, that's generally a positive backdrop for energy equities. I think you put, you know, sort of alongside that, you know, that tight supply and demand environment that I referenced a moment ago, you know, the capital discipline um, that the U.S. energy companies been, have been exhibiting, you know, that capital discipline, I'd argue, indefinitionally in is, is, you know, making sure your, your returns on capital invested are, you know, attractive and that you make sure you have, you know, ample cash flow to pay dividends and, and you know, buy back stock uh, as the balance of your, your cash flow is available to, you know, re- increase shareholder value over time. You know, I think when you look at valuation, and this is where we get really excited on an absolute and relative basis, and this is mostly because the sector has done so poorly over the last seven or eight years, um, but you've got, you know, free cash flows just for the index, the S&P Energy Index, that's over 10% for next year. You've got uh, a free cash flow multiple that's uh, less than five times. And, you know, when you look at consensus expectations, I'd, I'd argue they're too low for next year. So you're going to see those revised higher. Uh, so all of that, you know, represents a positive backdrop for energy equities. And now for the, you know, uh, going into our, our third year, we're going to be, you know, overweight uh, energy or the energy sector. That's about 5% of the S&P 500. You know, our most preferred view of energy would suggest 100 basis points overweight. So, you know, call it a uh, 6 or 7% weighting of a diverse energy, uh, diverse equity portfolio. Um, so, yeah, we, we like these stocks and we think they make a lot of sense, particularly in the economic environment we see developing in, in 2023. So, Jay, as our listeners know, there has been a lot of volatility in 2022 and that in part a product of the Fed, monetary policy. And we even heard last week from Fed Chairman Powell at the December meeting that it sounds like for the next couple of Fed meetings, at least, we may see some more hikes to come. Though, as we're looking ahead to 2023, there is a lot of anticipation over the Fed slowing down their rate hikes, perhaps pausing their rate hikes, being mindful of a potential shift on the horizon. Jay, what are the implications of that policy trajectory by the Fed to the performance of U.S. energy? Yeah, it's it's interesting, Dan. You know, you have to keep in mind that, you know, energy prices, energy equities um, historically are are cyclical and they, they move with the economy. That's not surprising because energy demand, mm-hmm. you know, moves with with the economy. You know, if you're painting a picture of where, you know, the Fed is is slowing their increases and, and maybe moving to stimulate. So actually, you know, sort of reducing rates, you know, that'll probably be you know pretty far out in, in 2023. You know, that, of course, would start increasing energy demand um, and recognize, though, it, even I sometimes forget this, you know, we're talking about a global energy environment. So, you know, when we started this conversation, we were talking about Chinese demand. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's likely to grow because that government is stimulating their economy. You know, India is going to continue to grow. If you see as well, um, you know, uh, the U.S. or other developed countries stimulating their economy, um, that's going to be, you know, sort of pretty significant for for global uh, crude oil demand. And I think the cautious thing we have to think about here then is, you know, where is supply? 
Um, you know, I, I think, as I said, to, uh, supply and demand is very, very tight in, in global crude oil. Um, I, I would argue if you really look out, you know, a couple of years, you have to get a little nervous that we don't have the supplies necessary to meet demand and we really need to keep investing. So it, it really begins to paint a picture that, um, you know, sort of energy should do reasonably well um, in an environment where the economy is starting to recover or if, in fact, you know, the economy is going the other way. But again, that's that's, you know, sort of bounded by this tight supply demand environment we see for crude. And I know we've spoken about alternative energy sources on prior podcasts, and I'm sure we can follow up and speak more about that in 2023 as those types of resources and avenues are more longer term, right, Jay? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's a whole other podcast we should talk about because the energy transition is so complex. I do want to acknowledge it almost feels like a dark cloud over investors' heads in the form of concern over the prospects of an economic downturn in 2023. I'm curious, Jay, how does the U.S. energy sector typically perform if we look back in history? How does it fare in a recessionary environment? Yeah, it's, it's a good question, Dan, because again, you know, energy equities historically have been viewed, you know, somewhat cyclically. It would depend on how you look at the subsectors. So the integrated energy companies would be probably the most defensive, and then you'd move out to the exploration and production and the oil field services, which would be, you know, the most cyclical. Um, so historically, you know, energy stocks have, you know, sort of performed in line or, or modestly underperformed the market in, you know, sort of an economic downturn. Again, I, I think this sec, uh, time is going to be a little different. I always say that with some caution, having done this a long time. Um, but again, I think it takes us back to that very tight supply demand environment wherein, you know, you have to keep in mind OPEC plus is in control of the market. You know, Saudi Arabia's fiscal budget is, you know, based on eighty. Dollars Brent, which you know converted would be about seventy-seven dollars WTI. You know the Biden administration said uh, they would like to refill um, the Strategic Petroleum Reserve at you know sixty-seven or or seventy dollars uh, WTI. So I think you have these low inventories and tight supply demand that actually say as we move through you know what potentially may be a recession in 2023 in the developed world, um, you'll probably see energy equities performing still reasonably well. And I'd also keep in mind that what's very different this time is this capital discipline. You know, you have a lot of these energy companies paying, you know, very significant dividends and buying back a lot of of stock uh, with the free cash flow left over after they are growing their production uh, here in the U.S. So, you know, you're going to have a a lot of shareholders return coming to you in 2023. And I I think that'll probably mark or or support the difference I mentioned. It's always helpful to manage expectations. So we'll see how the macroeconomic environment takes shape over the next six months or so, though something different about 2023, because over the past few years or couple of years, we've seen a Democrat control of Congress. And as we enter into 2023, it will be a split Congress scenario. I'm curious, Jay, are there any policy considerations or implications of that, that you're monitoring that could directly impact the U.S. energy sector? Yeah, you know, I wouldn't say there's a lot. You know, again, in a divided Congress, you're probably more likely to see, you know, nothing or very mm-hmm. limited amount of, of policy successes. Um, you know, there's still the infrastructure permitting legislation um, that Senator Manchin had out there. Um, I think that's, you know, still pretty pretty long odds, even looking out to next year. Um, but I'd, I'd say where I look, and again, this could get to our, you know, sort of next podcast around the energy mm-hmm. transition, what I continue to 
look for is whether, you know, Republican or Democrat really, really trying to look longer term and set an energy policy. You know, what bothers me most when I look to Washington is, you know, again, we want to, you know, find ways to transition the economy to lower carbon. Um, that is in concert with fossil fuels. I want to be clear. Uh, they are going to have to be a part of that transition. That isn't necessarily transitioning away. It's transitioning to cleaner. But, you know, you also have to provide government incentives. Mm. So setting sort of a policy that isn't talking about the next year or two or three, um, but is actually a, you know, holistic energy policy over the next decade or two, you know, would be, I think, very favorable. The Inflation Reduction Act started that, um, mm. you know, certainly providing tax credits for renewables, but as well for carbon capture and hydrogen and other, um, you know, new low carbon technologies. So I, I would say to answer your question directly, I don't see a lot of uh, legislation. And I'd say the Biden administration at the margin has probably been softening its stance against mm -hmm. the U.S. fossil fuel industry, which I, again, think is positive. Mm -hmm. We can't vilify the people. You know, Dan, as you and I have talked about many times, when we look globally, fossil sure. fuels provide 80, 80 percent of the energy supply. So the idea that we're going to quickly turn some corner um, and move away from them, I, th I think, is, is a reckless assumption. I think what we need to understand is, you know, that transition takes time. And if we do it smartly, you know, we can do it with, you know, minimal vo price volatility. You know, the last couple of years have shown us, you know, if we have price volatility, you're going to see like they are in China and Europe burning more coal. So actually moving backwards in that, you know, lower carbon transition. But it's going to be an interesting uh, political year. But uh, luckily, not too much of that interesting stuff will be happening in energy. Well, that global dependency metric on fossil fuels, quite eye-opening. And to your point, Shay, a lot here that will be in the form of a long-term conversation, which, of course, we can follow up on in 2023. Though, as we begin to close out our conversation for today, Jay, probably worth spending some time on allocation. What's your thinking when it comes to an investment approach into U.S. energy as we head into the first quarter of 2023? Yeah. You know, again, we're overweight energy equities within the context of a diverse ec uh, energy portfolio. Sorry, energy equities, uh, a diverse uh, equity portfolio. Um, so I think it's important to keep that in mind. When you look at subsectors, you know, look, I, I like the integrated oil companies. Um, you know, they have a, a defensive quality that, you know, I think uh, investors will uh, pay more for in, in 2023. But I would also look at the exploration and production sector. That is where we're seeing the highest amount of, of free cash flow and where a lot of that is coming back in the form of dividends, variable dividends and, and share repurchases. Um, the third subsector that we like is, is the oil field services sector. This is going to be interesting because I think it'll be a volatile sector in, in 2023 because, again, you know, historically, that's been the most volatile, most cyclical portion of the industry. But we're going into this downturn in a very, very tight supply demand environment and have not invested adequate amounts in, in fossil fuel resources over the last you know, really decade for all intents purposes, though it's slightly shorter than that if you actually look at the data. Uh, so I think the oil field services companies are very, very well positioned, uh, and that may well turn out to be a, a multi-year trade. You know, the last subsector, the, the refiners, I'd, I'd probably argue we're a little more neutral on, though, again, um, with uh, low inventories for gas lean and for diesel. I, I think it's going to be interesting to, to watch the refiners. And, and actually, I forgot one, the uh, pipelines uh, we're neutral on as well. They just don't have the commodity price exposure. But I think all of those represent opportunities in that mm -hmm. uh, energy overweight recommendation that, that CIO is holding. 
Jay, thank you very much for dropping by the studio here today to share your thinking heading into year-end on oil markets, U.S. energy. I know we've said it a couple of times, but a lot here to keep an eye on, a lot here that we will follow up on with our listeners, our clients in the new year. Uh, though, Jay, also want to thank you as well for all of the insights and guidance you've shared with our listeners over the course of 2022. Always great catching up and wish you a happy and healthy holiday season. Yeah, Dan, to you as well. And absolutely looking forward to continuing the conversation in, in 23. Lots to talk about, but as always, uh, looking at bottom lines to help our clients and, and our FAs uh, make a little money. Definitely. Thank you very much, Jay. Appreciate Thanks, it. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the global wealth management business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.